Welcome to Voices in Vulnerability. I'm your guest host, Jennifer Hickey. I'm currently a postdoctoral fellow with the Vulnerability and Human Condition Initiative. And as a former software engineer, I have an interest in the impact of technological development on humanity and social institutions. So I am delighted to be here today to have a conversation about artificial intelligence. Our guest today is Dr. Tanya Krupe, a postdoctoral fellow at Tilburg University in the Netherlands. Tanya is a former uh, visiting scholar with Vulnerability and Human Condition Initiative. She has expertise in international human rights law, international humanitarian law, and international criminal law. Additionally, she has expertise in artificial intelligence and robotic systems. Her current research focuses on upholding human dignity, equality, and diversity in an era of technological innovation. Recently, Tanya authored a vulnerability analysis, theorizing the impact of artificial intelligence decision-making processes on individual society and human diversity from a social justice perspective, which was published in the Computer Law and Security Review. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So this is, I believe, the first article that applies vulnerability theory to artificial intelligence, which is really exciting. Uh, to start the conversation, maybe you can tell our listeners what exactly is artificial intelligence? This is a very interesting question because there is no consensus on what artificial intelligence is. And our understanding and definitions have been evolving as technology has been uh, developing. The, one of the common understandings of artificial intelligence involves systems which change the way in which they represent the external environment based on the continuous input of information about the external environment. And these systems are sometimes called as self-learning systems precisely because they continuously modify uh, the model of the environment based on the inputs which they receive. When it comes to the use of artificial intelligence systems in particular context, there is also no agreed on definition. And in my article, I propose my own definition. I argue that we should call an artificial intelligence decision-making uh, process um, when we, we are discussing the context of using an artificial intelligence system to uh, produce decisions about individuals. And I would say that the term an artificial intelligence decision-making process is more appropriate for this context than an artificial intelligence decision-making system. I uh, build my definition uh, based on a recommendation of experts who advised the Council of Europe. And the experts uh, believe that uh, an algorithmic system can be defined uh, as a system which has one or more of the following components, the, the gathering of data, uh, the labeling of data to make it meaningful um, to an artificial intelligence system, the processing of data, the issuance of recommendations, and the uh, production of a decision. And I argue that uh, an artificial intelligence decision-making process um, should be defined in a way that includes all the stages in 
uh, designing and using an artificial intelligence system. And so my definition uh, differs from the experts who advise the Council of Europe because it includes an additional step of formulating a problem which the use of an artificial intelligence system is designed to solve. And the addition of this step is very important because as um, Son Barcos and Andrew Zabs point out, the way in which computer scientists define the problem to be solved determines uh, how an artificial intelligence decision-making process makes predictions, uh, what kind of scores individuals get assigned and whether in the end they get a positive decision. And another aspect in which my definition differs from the experts of the Council of Europe is that it includes all the steps involved in designing and using an artificial intelligence uh, decision-making process rather than um, referring to either uh, a single step or a multiple steps involved in the operation of such systems. And can you explain how you came to vulnerability theory and why you decided to use it? Yes, I actually heard about the vulnerability theory at a conference, and I think uh, the value of the theory and one of its um, contributions is that it is possible to use this uh, theory to analyze questions in different legal domains um, and, and a variety of different issues. And so I became very interested in the theory, but I was able to actually work with this theory uh, only at a later point in time when I began to analyze the implications of using artificial intelligence decision-making processes for equality um, and the protection of human diversity. And the reason why the vulnerability theory is appealing to me is because it, uh, it is a theory of social justice. And as Martha Feynman explains, uh, her theory remedies the fact that the uh, protection of equality is very individualistic uh, in its focus. And as a result, the protection of uh, equality or the prohibition of discrimination doesn't address uh, the structural ways in which society produced and maintained inequality. Uh, and, and this is the aspect which I found very appealing. And I found that uh, the theory was very suitable for answering the research question which I formulated. And the research question which I formulated was whether we can think about an artificial intelligence decision-making process as an institution. And if so, I wanted to know how um, the use of artificial intelligence decision-making processes creates change uh, in the lives of individuals and on societal level. The vulnerability theory was particularly well suited to answering this research question because it looks at how individuals are embedded in relationships with other individuals uh, and institutions and how the way in which individuals are positioned in these relationships impacts on the access to opportunities and on the resilience, meaning on how well positioned they, they are to overcome setbacks. And I just want to illustrate one of the ways in which uh, the vulnerability theory really helps us with our ability to detect 
sources of inequality in the context of the use of artificial intelligence decision-making processes. We know that uh, New York City uh, decided to use artificial intelligence in order to allocate uh, places at schools. And the way in which the artificial intelligence decision-making process allocates such places is purely on grades. A traditional analysis of the prohibition of discrimination would focus on whether the use of the artificial intelligence decision-making process disproportionately excludes individuals who belong to groups uh, who have historically experienced disadvantage, for example, based on their ethnicity or socioeconomic um, situation. And the use of the statistical analysis um, in order to detect disadvantage is very challenging in the context, um, such as the use of artificial intelligence decision-making processes, because it's difficult to determine whether the grade a child uh, obtained is due to the efforts of the child or due, for example, um, to the family's poverty. Whereas the vulnerability theory um, removes this evidentiary burden because it allows us to use other kinds of uh, evidence to establish disadvantage. And we have plenty of evidence um, that, that there is fundamentally, um, there's a difference in the way in which individuals have uh, access to resources. For example, we know that in the United States, within the same city, um, schools can have uh, different access to resources. Some schools have three times as much funding as others because the funding which a school has is determined by the amount of property taxes which the parents contribute. So of course, schools which are situated in affluent areas are much better funded uh, than schools in poor areas. And the resources which a school has has a really uh, real impact on, um, on the ability of children to succeed. For example, we know that in Detroit, after the financial crisis, there were children in grade nine who didn't have uh, teachers for English. And when school children don't have teachers who can teach them, it's extremely difficult for them to perform well on examinations and standardized tests. And we also know uh, from the case of the United Kingdom that there are 25% of children who have access to private tutors. That's a very high amount. And the children who have access to private tutors tend to come from middle-class families. And of course, this is not to say that uh, children from poor families uh, do not obtain high grades, but from the point of fairness, I think we need to acknowledge that uh, children who study in underfunded schools and, and don't have tutors are at a disadvantage compared to children who, who, well, who grow up in affluent families. And because the vulnerability theory focuses on the positionality of children in relation to the school as an institution and on relationships, it makes it far easier to detect uh, the initial sources of disadvantage 
which result in uh, some children having um, unequal opportunities compared to other children. And, and we, we can tell how much more the children have to work in order to be able to get the same type of grade as children who, um, who have greater access to various resources. So tell us a little more about your article. Well, I would like to share with you some of my findings and the vulnerability theory really helped me to make a connection between the technical aspects of the artificial intelligence decision-making process, uh, the societal context in which individuals find themselves and the way in which the use of artificial intelligence decision-making processes produces effects not only um, in the case of the lives of individuals, but additionally on societal level. And I think that um, it is very important that we are able to make this connection between a technical process, um, the impact on the indiv individuals, and, and the more lasting structural change which we see at societal level. One of my findings is that um, an artificial intelligence decision-making process institutes a relationship of subjugation between uh, the applicant um, and uh, the university, for example, or a school or an organization which uses an artificial intelligence decision-making process. And that is the case because artificial intelligence decision-making processes uh, limit how individuals can communicate. They um, recognize uh, only information which is uh, presented in a way that the system uh, recognizes. And this stems from the fact that as Sorel Friedler and colleagues explain, um, artificial intelligence decision-making process works well with quantitative uh, inputs but it's extremely challenging to um, use qualitative information in a way that makes it possible for an artificial intelligence decision-making process to process it. And this means that when researchers work with uh, qualitative information, they have to find uh, a proxy um, to represent it using a quantitative metric. And Soraya Friedler and colleagues uh, give the example of a grade as an example of a proxy for something else such as intelligence. Uh, and this uh, has uh, real applications for the applicants because when they can only present uh, information in a way which uh, which corresponds to a pre-programmed information in the system and which corresponds to uh, a quantitative format, they have a difficulty in, first of all, uh, communicating their identities. Secondly, they have a difficulty of, um, of communicating their transferable skills um, in a way which the system recognizes. And it is very difficult to present non-traditional work experience in a way that becomes recognized as merit by the artificial intelligence decision-making process. And we know that candidates 
who come who belong to underrepresented groups frequently have um, non-traditional work experience or uh, develop their skills in a different context and so uh, this the fact that the artificial intelligence decision making process uh, relies on quantitative um, uh, metrics creates a particular challenge for them and this a uh, factor also leads to the use of artificial intelligence decision-making processes uh, entrenching existing mechanisms involved in producing inequality. We know that technological change created winners and losers a long time ago and actually became a source of inequality for individuals, for example, who have a disability. Uh, Tom Shakespeare explains that in agrarian societies, all individuals uh, participated equally, whereas with the emergency, emergence of numeracy and literacy, uh, certain individuals uh, started to be disadvantaged uh, because they, because, because their skill set was in a, a different area. So for example, um, when I think about uh, dyslexia, uh, I can say that dyslexia really is a product of technology uh, because numbers are a human invention. And so if some individuals um, find that it takes them longer, for example, to learn reading, that is not a product of uh, our human nature as much of the fact that we choose to use a particular uh, technology. And I find that the reliance on um, numerical um, benchmarks to define merit will exacerbate the pre-existing inequality and disadvantage. Uh, let me explain why. Uh, we have a research from uh, Robert Steinberg and Wendy Williams, who showed that uh, lecturers at Yale University found that the ability of their students and how well they did at university uh, had little relationship with their performance on standardized tests. And we also have research from Susan Sturm, which shows us that how well individuals do on standardized tests is directly related to the socioeconomic situation of the family of the applicant. And this research shows us that grades don't tell us about um, the intelligence of the applicants or their ability to do well at university or their ability to contribute later on to society. And yet, what the use of artificial intelligence decision-making processes does is uh, precisely to reinforce the use of um, results, for example, on standardized tests, because it is much easier to use this type of data um, when represent, to represent it in an artificial intelligence decision-making process than, uh, for example, qualitative data about a community project uh, in which somebody was involved, uh, for example, a, a strategy which somebody uh, designed to solve a particular problem in the community. Um, and of course, 
to evaluate, for example, a community project which someone designed and implemented really involves subjective judgment. And as we know, uh, proponents of artificial intelligence decision-making processes um, market these systems precisely for the value that they remove human sub subjectivity. And I think uh, this is a, a real concern. And when it comes to uh, protecting human diversity, I think that uh, there is a difficulty with the use of artificial intelligence uh, decision-making processes. Um, and that is because human diversity is about our individuality um, and about the fact that we have, um, as Richard Chris points out, we have complex uh, identities. So human diversity, uh, as Richard Crisp explains, it's not just about protected characteristics, uh, but rather about the fact that we can define our own identities uh, in complex ways that um, allied particular categories. And when uh, an organization uses an artificial intelligence decision-making process, um, it is very difficult to embody um, and express human diversity because it is fundamentally about reducing human diversity to particular categories. So instead of having complex identities, one um, is forced to express oneself um, in terms of one's um, race, uh, age, um, uh, an examination score or so, or so on. So in terms of a very narrow range of, of fixed parameters. Uh, of course, I have other findings, um, and um, I hope that uh, uh, the findings which I shared so far uh, might prompt you to, to read my article and find out about um, other important um, considerations which we need to think about when we decide um, how to regulate artificial intelligence decision-making processes and in what context the use of these processes uh, is desirable. Thank you. And, and what steps would you like to see the state taking to regulate these types of processes? One of the insights which emerged from the use of the vulnerability theory is that it is desirable for organizations to retain human decision-making. Um, and that is because inequality is uh, structural, um, as Martha points, as Martha Feynman points out, it's about uh, the situated situatedness of individuals in the relationships and therefore about context. And I think that because human decision makers um, understand the societal context and have abstract thinking skills, uh, they will be able to, to understand um, and to evaluate the contributions which the candidate can make to the program, for example, or the, in the employment context to the company. So I'm wondering about situations where artificial intelligence might be you know, beneficial or even preferable in an educational context. Um, so I recently read an article that I had shared with you about a university in the US uh, that's almost erased the achievement gaps based on race and class by proactively using algorithms to identify students that might need additional help, um, such as you know, from advisors with class schedules, test accommodations, or even housing concerns. 
um, rather than waiting for the student to seek help. And in a sense, it kind of seems like this is a case where artificial intelligence maybe is trying to remedy rather than perpetuate injustice. And I was wondering what you thought about that and what the implications of, of that use of, of AI are. Well, I can see um, that uh, the use of artificial intelligence uh, systems can be beneficial in some contexts, but it depends how these systems are used. For example, from the standpoint of autonomy uh, and from the standpoint of having an equal relationships, I think it's beneficial to inform the students about the resources that are available and to have the students seek out the help that they need. However, I do think that the use of artificial intelligence systems can be useful for um, optimizing the allocation of resources. For example, when it comes to scheduling, artificial intelligence uh, systems can be very useful because uh, essentially when it comes to scheduling, it's, it's a, a finite amount of resources which can be combined together in a finite number of ways and there is no need to know the context and artificial intelligence systems are particularly well suited to finding um, combinations uh, of, for example, uh, how classes could be scheduled in a way that um, increases adherence to a particular objective. So for example, if, if one were to use artificial intelligence systems to match the preferences of the students with the scheduling, I think um, the use of artificial intelligence systems is uh, very promising in this respect. Uh, and I uh, wanted to add at this stage that um, the use of artificial intelligence uh, systems has all kinds of uh, second order effects. And I think it's important to, to ensure that that it doesn't lead to a situations where, where individuals um, become um, the, the subjects who are managed rather than active participants who are shaping how artificial intelligence serves them. So your article touches on some ways in which artificial intelligence may inhibit government accountability. Can you talk a little more about that? Uh, yes. I know that uh, at the moment scholars are discussing uh, the issue of transparency and the fact that artificial intelligence decision-making processes are a black box. And there is research carried out now um, by the computer science community to make uh, this process more visible. But the challenge is that when one makes the logic of the decision-making process more visible, one sacrifices accuracy. Uh, this for me is one of the challenges for accountability, but I think we have uh, a significant challenge which is different in its nature. And that is the fact that the use of artificial intelligence decision-making processes produces impacts at societal level. Um, and these impacts are difficult to measure and could be difficult to study uh, because, for example, um, we can show that there is a concern using sociological analysis or a social justice type of analysis, but it could be difficult to prove the relationship 
using, uh, for example, empirical studies, or one might need a lot of resources to validate the findings using uh, an empirical analysis. And I worry that uh, this um, aspect makes it difficult to have government uh, accountability. Great, thank you. Well, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to know what would you like listeners to remember about our interview today? Well, I would like to mention um, the argument uh, of Jen Bailey and Valerie Steves that technology is neither good or bad. It's about how we use it, in what context, and how we regulate it. And I think when it comes to the use of artificial intelligence uh, decision-making processes, uh, we need to be uh, very aware about how these systems operate, uh, what kind of values they embed, how they change societal structures in our decision, how to regulate these systems and in what context to use them. I would say that um, whenever we have um, human beings involved and social complexity, it is better to have uh, human decision makers and, and that whenever we can reduce um, the problem to um, a much um, more simple form, um, and whenever we need to process a lot of information, uh, it, it can be useful to use artificial intelligence uh, decision-making um, systems or processes. And, and again, even with the same technology, there are many different ways of actually embedding it and operationalizing it. For example, um, as I mentioned earlier, when an artificial intelligence system triages students uh, and sends a warning to, to a counselor, for example, this is uh, a hierarchical relationship when artificial intelligence system manages um, the student, but we could use the system in a very different way. Um, where counselors, for example, ask students about their needs and preferences, and then use the artificial intelligence uh, system to, to serve the student and to help the counselor to find um, a solution that um, most uh, closely fits uh, the student's preferences. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, like you said, there's a number of important findings in your article, and I could probably discuss them with you all day if we had the time. Uh, but again, thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you very much for uh, interviewing me and thank you for listening.